Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gypsy Poet Radio here on blogtalkradio.com front slash Gypsy Poet. I'm the Gypsy Poet, and I feel like a badass enough as it is. I am so ecstatic to have the following guest on my radio program because he is a massive metal veteran for over 30 years in the business. He is a powerhouse bass player, and, he's, and he can read poetry like a madman. It is none other than the awesome, the amazing David Ellison from Megadeth. How are you, David? How are you? How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Talk to me. Okay. Um, let's let's go ahead and get a little history out of the way here. You have been with Megadeth for nearly three decades, maybe a little over than that. But uh, I want to talk to you about what exactly it was the was the ride like so far. How has it been so far? Well, yeah. Fortunately, it's not over, and <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> continues to you know to keep going. Like. I think rock and roll is like that. It's sort of a lifelong thing, you know, because it isn't what you do, it's who you are. And, yeah. um, you know, so I think that that right there encapsulates everything that is Megadeth and, you know, the founders, Dave Mustaine and myself. You know, he had just, uh, when I met him in 19, I guess June of 1983, <clears throat> he had just been released from his gig in Metallica about two months earlier in April. And... Um, you know, he was formulating the ideas, the songs, just sort of concepts of what his next band, what the next steps of his life were going to be. And it's interesting because when he and I met, um, uh, you know, every every general needs a good colonel and a good lieutenant and, you know, all the people to, you know, to put the, the army together to go win the war. And I guess I was the first the first, uh, you know, maybe the lieutenant, you know, the first first in the chain of command to go make that happen. And, 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 I, and I got it. I just, you know, to me, I, I've, ever since I started playing bass when I was 11, I started putting bands together I, like six months later when I was about 12 years old. I was out gigging when I was 13. And so, I mean, I'm doing today at age 50 what I've been doing my whole life, basically. And, um, and, uh, you know, as you and I were chatting leading up to this, this interview and emails and stuff, you know, that's, it's still what I do. You know, I, I write, I record, I produce, I, you know, I've learned to just say yes to things. And I think when you say yes to things, life just unfolds very organically and naturally. And, um, you know, music is a matter of the heart, not of the head. So I think it's kind of one of those things I've learned over the years with Megadeth and with everything else. You know, don't think about it too much. Just if if it, it, it it's kind of like if the good Lord brought you to it, the good Lord will see you through it, you know. So just get on board, say yes, and go have fun. I have to say something. Um, you wrote a book um, about a couple of years ago called My Life with Death, and one chapter that really um, in- intrigued me was one was the second chapter in the book, really. And it says, one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. Could you tell me what that means? Sure, that's an old saying that's known around the 12-step recovery community about um, if you suffer from the illness of addiction or alcoholism, that it isn't it isn't the you know the tenth drink that gets you drunk; it's the first one. <laughs> um, you know, and as I've heard it said, you know, you, no one ever gets killed when they're hit by a train. It isn't the caboose that kills you; it's the engine. You know, it's the first one that gets mm-hmm. you. So. Um, that's specifically what I was referring to with that as my 
you know, I was a guy who, you know, being a musician from a very young age, I was in bands. I did not get into drugs and alcohol um, through any sort of emotional things. I came from a great family. I uh, wasn't out of rebellion. It wasn't on any of those things. I just took a, you know, partying with my buddies and or my brother and took a drink and one drink led to two, led to ten, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so that I, I found that that quote kind of fitting for my book because because that's basically what happened is, you know, is if for those that may be listening, you know, if you find yourself getting encapsulated into the addiction thing, um, it's hard to get out of it, you know. And, and, you know, I don't think any of us wants to admit that, you know, I can't have a drink like my buddy can or, you know, some people recreation, recreationally party and things like that. But there I was. I was at that point, you know, in my early 20s, almost mid-20s. And I had to face the reality that it's like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the 10th one that's causing the problems. It's the first one. Like I can't take the first one. Like, I'm going to have to put all this down and leave it all alone. And it was, it was scary because I remember there's a moment right before we went in to record the Megadeth Rest in Peace album where I was going, well, maybe I don't want to play music if I'm not high and maybe I don't want to even do this anymore. This is, you know, the, the addiction sells you this lie that it's, you know, you're an artist and you're a poet and you're a lyricist and drugs are part of the arts and the underculture, you know, that whole, you know, it's all BS. It's all just crap, you know, but, you know, it, it, it sells you that lie. And it really hit me all of a sudden one day. I went, wait a minute. I got into playing guitar and playing bass and being in bands years before I ever took a drink or a drug. So I obviously know that that's not true. And that kind of became this epiphany for me that it's like, you know, maybe not being on drugs, not partying is the way I was born to be. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, my music is meant to be played without me being intoxicated. And that that was kind of the reset moment for me in my life that took me back to... um, you know, being the, you know, kind of the, the 11, 12 year old kid again and, and just enjoying music and enjoy being in bands, enjoy doing all this stuff for really just for the love and the passion and the enjoyment of it. And and that's, you know, now here I am 25 years later, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, having gone through that transition, just, just be, being that, I mean, sitting here on the phone with you on a Sunday, you know, this is the, this is what I always wanted to do since I was a kid. And this is kind of what I'm still doing. So it's, it's all kind of worked out. How amazing is that? It's quite an adventure. And to have you on is even is an adventure even for me. Um, well, Thank I you. wanted to ask you another thing. Yes, there's something I wanted to, that really caught my attention, and I really wanted to bring this to, to the surface. Um, and, and did I read correctly that you became a minister? Well, I, I uh, it's funny. I actually have a certificate too, and I've, I've performed a few weddings actually for some friends, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I can basically do weddings and funerals, um, and it's uh, I can marry him and bury him, as I jokingly say, you know. But <laughs> um, but it's um, um, but you know that here's here's where that started. You know, through my sobriety journey, you know, that just sort of opened my world and my thinking and every my my just kind of my opened my heart to you know things of the spirit and and uh, mm-hmm. and it's and it it's you know just like you physically get hungry and thirsty, your 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 spirit thirsts for things as well, you know, and and um, um, so through my journey a few years back. Um, through the Lutheran Church back in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I where I live, um, mm-hmm. 
there became an opportunity my pastor had put out there that they were uh, the Concordia Seminary back in St. Louis, um, Missouri, was offering online courses to do uh, for to basically become a pastor. It's like a four-year degree program. And uh, and I already already have a business and marketing degree that I finished about 10 years ago. Um, and I, most of my education is online, which I love because it's the only way a guy like me traveling the world can can continue to get, you know, further education. So I, I did a year of that seminary track and, and it was really, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, really what we studied was the narrative of, of the Bible um, and got into some of Martin Luther's, um, you know, discoveries and some of his views. And, you know, it's funny because Martin Luther was like the first non-denominational guy (laughs) and he was also very, what I would consider to be pretty punk rock, you know, because he was definitely fighting yes. the man back in the day, you know. He stood up against everybody. So, I mean, I love a guy like Martin Luther. Um, yes. And, you know, guys guys that stand up and challenge challenge the man. I, I love that. So, to me, there was, I saw a lot of, you know, kind of rock and roll in the whole thing, to be honest with you. And, uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, I put it on the, on the sidelines for now because it became clear that at a certain point as I was heading into the second year of that, of those studies, it's like, the, you know, Concordia is very much wanting to groom those students to become a a, a Lutheran pastor, and I was like, okay, that's not you know, it's not in my in my my scope of what I'm looking to do here in my life, and I just you know felt that you know staying the course with my music career is the thing I should be doing. But it, it you know it was nice, it was cool to open the door to that and peek inside, and you know, kind of it kind of um, helped me understand some things, sort of of, of the biblical nature that. You know, that I think questions all of us understand if we're not very well read on it. Most of us aren't scholars of that thing. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's kind of nice that I have that I have some answers to that stuff now. And, and um, you know, it's, it's funny. I remember reading in Revolver magazine, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, that the number one book to inspire heavy metal lyrics is still the Bible. <laughs> so I thought, well, what the heck, I'm studying the best lyrics the best source of heavy metal lyric inspiration to this date. So what the heck, not a bad yes. thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, that hits home with me too, in terms of uh, Martin Luther. I, I love this. I love his story. I think he has an amazing tale left in history for, to post those uh, 95 theses on the church door to just basically challenge the church. I love that. I, I love it yeah, when people yeah. question things. Yes. When people question things, that's, that's a big thing with me because I'm just one big question mark because I'm always asking why, where, right. what, how, you know. Well, and that's a big so source what, of what, you know, you being a, the mm-hmm. poet that you are and, you know, and your mm-hmm. sort of your, your, your tagline of who you are. And I really, it's yes. kind of the first way you and I connected online through literature mm-hmm. and, and these things. Um, mm-hmm. That then led to this interview, but the, exactly those are the things that I think all you know all people all people are creative. I don't like when people say oh yeah. creative types. Well, everybody's creative. Mm-hmm. It's just that some people are mm-hmm. a little more you know maybe you know gifted or attuned in that area. But it's the it's the question I think we all ask. You know, who yeah. am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? Those are I think probably the yeah. three questions we all ask. You know, and some yeah. of us try to solve those things through logic some through science, some through math, some through religion, some of us just through creative means of poetry, music, drawing, painting, arts, etc. you know. So it's, um, yeah. you know, um, it's. I think it's probably a big part of the quest of what we do even in rock and roll music, you know, is we're just sort mm-hmm. of Absolutely. putting our thoughts, 
feelings and discoveries on paper and through our guitars. Yes, exactly. And for me, the piano, but I'm not going there. <laughs> yeah, Question. yeah, yeah, no, for sure yes, the piano. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, there is one thing that caught my attention, and I, I still giggle about it to this day. You also got into poetry, and I um, I remember this clearly. When I, I, I felt like... It, I just felt like I was the first person who saw that you had published a poetry book on uh, blurb.com, and I was so ecstatic that I saw that, that I just had to make you a logo. That's why it's on the uh, montage on the front of the BTR uh, podcast here. And I wanted to ask, what led to the writing and publishing, uh, for that matter, self-publishing uh, of, uh, of Unsung? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for noticing it, <laughs> because, yeah, it was, <laughs> It was, you know, I guess here's what here's how it started. I, one day we were working, I guess, on the Megadeth uh, album that's titled 13, which is our 13th record, and this would be back in, I guess, 2011. I realized, man, I'm, I'm sifting through these folders and folders of all these lyrics that I've written, some of them complete, some of them a verse and a chorus, some of them just a title and one or two lines. And it hit me and went, you know, I've got a ton of these things, and some of them are, are definitely lyrics. And some of them are poetry. And to me, the difference is, you know, poetry uh, generally follows certain rules that are kind of laid out, certainly rhyme schemes. Um, and I was pretty good at poetry in, in high school. However, I always, you know, I didn't always like to be confined to the rules of poetry because I think sort of traditional poetry can have a lot of, you know, rules that, you know, syllables and things like that. But, you know, poet, you know, lyrics are a little bit different because with a lyric, you're mm -hmm. telling an entire story, sometimes very cryptically. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you're having to use select. To me, lyric writing falls oftentimes much more under the rules of poetry that I had to work around in high school, which is, you know, here's, say, a, a, a riff or a phrase or, a, you know, a, like let's call it a verse, for instance, of a song. And you need to describe who is this song about, what is it about, and start laying out a story. And then, you know, you hit a chorus, which is going to probably repeat. That will be sort of the, in a way, answer to that verse. Then you head into the second verse, and now you need to continue that story, um, hopefully towards some sort of resolution, um, mm -hmm. of which, again, is going to be followed by a chorus that needs to you know, make sense in this, in this story. Um, and then oftentimes there's a bridge or even a third verse. So it, to me, lyric writing, you know, it, it's, it's, it's intense because you have to try to also um, tell this story within the confines of you've got rhythm, You've got oftentimes, but not always, rhyme. Um, and you definitely have a certain amount of syllables. Ba, 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 You know, and so you, you have mm -hmm. to sort of fit, um, mm -hmm. you know, that together and yet also have it tell a story to the listener. Because let's face it, when you're driving down the road and a song comes on the radio, uh, we may listen to the, to the instruments but we're usually listening to the music as a whole because it's the background for the story that's being told to us by the singer. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why, to me, lyric writing is so fascinating. So to, to back to this book, Unsung, that you're talking about that I self-published through Blurb, um, mm -hmm. I realized some of these stories would be better served to write them really more as poetry um, because I wasn't going to put music behind it. Because what I realized is, a friend of mine named Brett Nelson, who I, I called up to collaborate with me on the book, 
he had written a poetry book, and he's a huge metal. He, funny, he's a doctor. He's an MD, but he's also this this metalhead who's into this really stuff like Therion and Dark Tranquility and a lot of these, you know, a lot of these European and Scandinavian uh, metal groups. Um, mm-hmm. And in his book, he did this thing where he did some uh, poetry, and he it had some um, some photography in it. And I thought, you know, I want to be very. I basically borrowed that idea that he had, and I and I thought, you know, I want to have a, a photo that reflects this this lyric this lyric or this poetry as if the photo was a replacement for the music. Um, so it just became a different way to to go about it. That rather than taking these lyrics and poetry and spending the next six months of my life writing music around it, let me find photography that would reflect and draw the reader in the same way that the music would create a really terrific background for these words. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. That that has, um, because I've looked at some of these on YouTube, some of your performances, you are an excellent reader. Um, Thank you. Very substantial reader, and um, there's uh, and your poetry comes out a little dark, but you know what? I like it. That's the way in my mind it should be. <laughs> um, well, yeah, what? I think I know the one you're, you're referring to in particular, which is kind of a teaser piece I did for the book. Yeah, we actually filmed that in mm-hmm. in, in a church. <laughs> we set some candles <laughs> up, and uh, uh-huh. a friend of mine who I met actually at the Apple Store, uh, who's a very mm-hmm. he's funny. He's a, he also makes these little independent films and these film blurbs and things. So we just happened to hit it off, you know, and, and, and they said, Hey man, you want to film this thing for me? And he did. And, and it came off really cool. We put some nice bed track music behind it. And um, yeah, and it's, it's, you know, I love that. I, I, you know, I've been told a lot over the years, people go, man, you shouldn't be in radio. You've got a great radio voice. And I've read some things for some independent films and, and I love doing voiceover work and, you know, these kind of things. And um, so to me, it's, you know, being able to use the, use the power of, of lyric and, and word uh, with voice, with music, and with visual. It's sort of like engaging all of the senses to, to, to create an emotion for the, for the person who's receiving it. Mm. Very, very well said. Um, you got some current projects going on right about now. Um, for, well, first of all, I wanted to ask one last question about your poetry. Do you, by any chance, have a, sure. another book published? Uh, um, do you have another book published, and, and and is that one on a bigger publisher, or is that one also on Blurb.com? Um, I've got three. The three books that I have out are my very first book I, I, that was published in 1997 called "Making Music Your Business: A Guide for Young Musicians," and that's a, actually mm-hmm. a music business book. Um, mm-hmm. And it now since has also the audio book is, is available through Hal Leonard. Um, mm-hmm. I think you could probably just Google that and find where that is. So there's, and, and it's funny with that because I, I narrated that. I read my own book uh, in audio book format. And there's some chapters in it I had to update just because some mm-hmm. terms of the music business have since been updated over the last you know 18 years. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a fun project because I essentially narrated what kind of became volume two of that book. Um, and then I did the Unsung Words and Images book that we just spoke of that's available uh, through blurb.com. And then um, then there's My Life with Death, uh, which is my autobiography that's published through uh, Howard Books, Simon & Schuster. Awesome. 
Now, you've got a project out right now that you're uh, pr- you're producing and managing, co-managing actually, out of Phoenix, um, called Doll Skin. You want to talk a little bit about this? This is fascinating to me because it hits home. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is this is just such a. It's just like the love of my life here. Just a pa- true passion of mine. Yeah. These these wonderful all girl. Uh, they call themselves glitter punk band. Uh, mm-hmm. called Doll Skin. Um, and they're young. They're teenage girls. Yeah. Um, the drummer, mm-hmm. Megan, is 18. Every I think the bass player, Nicole, is uh, 17. The guitar player, Alex, is 16. And the singer, Sydney, is 15. <laughs> but I tell you what, yes. they come on stage and they roar like a lion, man. I mean, they. I, I first met them, I think, a year and a half ago. I was a judge. My son had asked me to be a judge at sort of like a Battle of the Bands thing at, at his high school. And, you know, you're kind of typical what you'd expect. Various levels of experience, some squeaky voices, mm-hmm. some squeaky instruments and all that. And then Dollskin came out, and they just yeah. absolutely friggin' leveled the place. I mean, it was just like night and day. It was like, holy smokes. It was like watching, like, UFO or Def Leppard or something come on stage and just totally crush the place. And it was, you know, the singer Sydney is a total star. I mean, she really has the qualities that of, you know, when you talk about the it, you know, the it factor, she's got it. And the band is just united. They play great. Um, They write very cool songs. And it's just like this moment where you're going, what, where did these kids come from? I mean, they're they're like from another planet to, to be this wise and this Mm -hmm. organically cool. Um, it's not forced. It's not like they've got some rich parent throwing a bunch of money at them, trying to be some helicopter parents making their, you know, parading their kids around, you know, to try to make them famous. There's none of that. I mean, it's truly the, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's everything that I did when I was a kid and just never got a break at it. You know, I had to move to California in order to get a, you know, to get it really going, you know? Um, but yeah, these girls, I mean, they really, they've, they've got it, you know? And, and so I've seen them a couple of times since then. And I've just, you know, sort of watched some things and all of a sudden they're showing up on covers of magazines around Arizona. And, and, um, a friend of mine, Randy Spencer, who's a manager friend of mine had called me up and said, listen, why don't, you know, I never hear you talk about any other band that you'd ever, you know, sort of catches your ear, except these girls, Dalskin. Why don't, you know, why don't you take them to the studio and go do something with them? And I said, you know, yeah, I should actually, because I really, I want the best for them. I do have, you know, some abilities to mentor them and produce them and, and some, you know, just some resources I can bring to the table for them before I get rolling out on another world tour here again. And maybe hopefully get them up and, you know, kind of get them in a position to really get them in the game and start to get some traction for them, you know, because they're young, but they're, you know, time time is, is critical, you know. And, and then I know how it is in a band when you're excited capturing that excitement is important because, you know, things can sometimes, you know, you, you get some disappointments, you take, you take a few hits, members get disenchanted, they leave, bands break up. And I'm thinking, you know, now is the time with these girls, you know? So that's why I've been working really hard this last month in the studio. And I mean, man, we've got just a great sounding record developing right now. So my goal is to get um, an EP or an LP out, hopefully sometime later this year for them, and you know really get them really get them in the game so they can become a legitimate recording artist because I really think they've got the goods. That's awesome. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. And 
Um, I, I would love to give them any kind of review, interview, or any kind of article along the way to help you out with that. Um, another thing I Thank wanted you. to bring up. A couple, yes, anytime, anytime. Um, I have two more questions here in the remainder of the of the interview here. Um, there's um, first of all, we're coming. You mentioned earlier that uh, Megadeth is going back on tour. Um, I mm-hmm. want to ask about the performance aspect. Uh, there's two, uh, here's two questions. First of all, when, when playing live, how does it feel when you get out there on that stage? Do you feel that rush, or is it something you just kind of got used to with time, or does it feel new every time you do it? No, it feels new every time. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because sometimes you walk up onto a deck and you walk out in front of 100,000 people, and it, it's exhilarating, and then you get out there and you go, man, I almost feel disconnected because there's so many people and there's just the four little guys of us in our band up there on that big stage. <laughs> and there's this mm-hmm. big, you know, we make a pretty loud sound for just four, four dudes, you know, but um, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 you realize, man, there's, it, it's, it's sometimes it's work, you know, to just to really mm-hmm. make the effort to engage with the audience. Cause you're not up just there staring at your guitar, playing your songs for you. You know, when you walk mm-hmm. on a stage, you're, you are there to perform. And you're there to create excitement. And fortunately, Megadeth music always from day one has, has just has created this it just really strong connection with our audience. And um, so we're, we're blessed with that. It's that. That part has never been hard work. But then there's other times, you know, you walk on stage in front of, you know, we'll play like some little 500,000 seat club show or something, you know, and it's hot and it's sweaty and you're banging your guitar on the wall because you know, four of us are crammed into a room together, you know, and, and sometimes those shows have a whole other energy, you know, it's hot and it's sweaty and you're drinking a ton of water and you're trying to keep your fingers dry so you can play good. And, but you're just there in the hot lights and they're right over your head and, but it's just slamming, you know, and, and everybody in the room is just so thrilled to be, you know, standing 10 feet from you. Um, and it's, you know, so every performance situation is different, but they, yeah, they're all exciting, man. When the lights go down, you hear the cheer of the crowd, the intro tape starts playing. Uh, it, it's, it's that, that's what sets the stage, you know, sometimes just putting on your stage clothes is enough to just start getting you in the mindset, you know? Um, and we don't wear elaborate stage clothes at all, but sometimes it's just, you're, you're getting in the mode, you know, and you're getting ready for, to go out there and, and, and rock the house, you know? And, and, you know, the good thing with Megadeth always is it's just, it's been this very, interactive thing between us and our audience. It's never been like we're four rock stars and they're just the audience. It's always been us and them together. And I think that's probably the thing we're the most blessed with, with Megadeth. Mm, That's awesome. I love this. uh, This is an amazing response. Now, my last question in terms of the band here is um, recording live or, excuse me, recording or playing live, that's the question. Do you enjoy uh, performing live or recording or are they just two totally different monsters? They're two totally different things. And I think it takes a while. You know, when you're a new young band and you're hurrying in to make a demo or a record and you don't have a lot of money and you're inexperienced, you don't really understand the process of recording and making records. Um, and there are some people early on when we first started Megadeth that really helped me understand that making that recording, it's a project and it's a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not in a hurry and there's, you know, you can take your time and, you want to re-record and be precise mm-hmm. and make things great. If you can, if you have the time and the money and the ability to do it, you want to do that. And today with digital recording, which is how most of us mm-hmm. make records these days, you know, you can really take the time to go in 
And I'm finding, too, you know, for instance, you know, the records I've made recently and even with Dalskin, for instance, you know, who have just this young, just freaking unbridled energy and just, you know, punk rock in your face thing that they've got. We want it to sound good, but you don't want to take you don't want to take the punk rock out of it, you know. So there's always kind of that thing and even making heavy metal records, man. You want it to be slamming and you want the sounds to be big so it's powerful but you don't ever want to use technology to suck the emotion out of it because what you're really trying to do is not just capture tones. You're trying to capture performance. And, and that really to me is, is the art of making records is you're recording human beings, not just electronics. Yes. And we live in a digital age where just about anything can happen. So that's, um, that's an amazing, uh, amazing thought to keep in mind, especially in this day and age, because uh, we can do as many takes as possible. But the thing is, when you don't have a take with with that amount of emotion in it, what's the point exactly? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm with you there. Um, okay. My last question here is um, with uh, with with as much history as you have with the band, um, how does it feel when uh, you, to um, how does how does it feel to have them as a family for as long as you have? Band members, you mean? Yes, yes. Um, you know, it it really is like that. You know, it's you know, mm-hmm. band bands are like every other relationship. Whether you're, you know, yes. in my case, dating a girl, meeting your wife, you know, it's you're, you're having kids. You know, just sort of the progression of my life. You know, but um, and for the listener, it's like sort of like falling in love. You know, you get this, you get this. Uh, you know, you get kind of the heebie-jeebies. It's fun. It's cool. It's exciting. You can't wait to get over there and start jamming and working on tunes. You know, and then mm-hmm. you then comes this moment where you start to get comfortable with each other, and that's the moment you can start to sort of be a little more honest with each other. You know, you're like, you know, love how you play, but I really wish you'd bend that note a little different. Or what do you think about how maybe sing this word or. Maybe they come to you and say, you know, dig that part, but let's work on that a little more. And and it's easy to get defensive. Like, you know, screw you, I'm the bass player. You don't tell me how to. So, you know, you go through the same dynamics that every relationship does. And then you go mm-hmm. through sometimes these points where you're like, well, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> break up or they go on hiatus or they do solo projects or whatever. Right. And then there's a moment when you realize, you know what, we're better together, you know, and, and, you know, I I Mm -hmm. need to go off and make a solo record, go do your thing. But you know what, let's not break up the family because of it. Let's keep the family together because there's something really special that happens here together that we just, let's face it, we're never going to have this anywhere else. And I think every single band I've been through, whether it's Megadeth now for 33 years or it's um, you know, a more recent thing with Metal Allegiance where we've only you know, um, or you know, five which have had what, whatever it is. I mean, every setting yeah. I've ever been in goes through that exact same ebb and flow of emotions and dynamics and you have the love fest, the hate fest, the the you know I love you but I want to punch you or you know it's, you know you, you just you just go through that you know um, yeah. it's just it's just part of what it is and that's and that's the beauty of being in a, in a band you know and and I think yeah. a lot of it too you, you get to this point where you realize you know um, 
this is this is this is special, man. This is really special. And then and then you, you really learn to, to appreciate I mean, I'm I am thankful and, and grateful for Dave Mustaine and Megadeth and everybody in our organization on a daily basis. There is one day that goes by that I I don't thank my star lucky stars for, for all of them because we've just had an amazing journey together and and um that one in particular because I've been in it for so long, you know, that's one that um no, I'm just I'm forever grateful for for that experience and for the continued experiences we get to have together. Oh, amazing! Well, I just have to tell you that we are out of time, <laughs> and um, okay. it's been a pleasure to have you. Yes, it's been a pleasure to have you on my radio program. You are a wonderful storyteller, a talented poet, and a wonderful musician. And I cannot wait to do a follow up interview whenever you wish to do so. Um, it has been a great afternoon here on Gypsy Poet Radio. I'm so grateful you called in, and I hope to have you again. And, thank you um, so again, much. Again, everybody listening. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. And uh, those of you out there listening, please check out Megadeth on tour this, uh, when is it, this coming summer, I'm hoping? <laughs> and, yeah, we, um, have, we, and have, we have one show. We're starting next month, and then new record mm-hmm. from there, and on and on it goes. Okay, awesome. So please check out Megadeth when they go on tour, and uh, also check out anything that Mr. Dave Ellison has written. He's got My Life with Death. He's got Unsung and everything else that's been uh, mentioned here on GPR. I'm signing off this afternoon in the lovely town of San Antonio, Texas, saying ideal for now. But, Mr. Ellison, thank you again so much for a wonderful episode, and I hope to hear from you again very, very soon. You're welcome. We'll chat soon. See ya. Yes. Yes. I'm signing off, guys. Ideal for now.